How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Dead Jester Productions podcast. I'm your host, Josh or J Moskers. Episode number 185. We're cruising right along. Special guest this week is author Casey Sutton. Thank you for being here. Hey, how's it going, Josh? Happy to have you here. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm Casey Sutton. I'm a grimdark fantasy author. Um, I am the author of Malthus Necromancer Unchained, which is a um, like I said, grimdark fantasy novel, and that just came out on June 28th. It's out on Amazon now. Awesome. Yeah, and I'm very excited to have you here. Uh, I'm a very big fan of you know the fantasy genre and things in that sort of field and just talking to authors and people that write in general. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I um, definitely, I'm a huge fantasy nerd too, big video game nerd. I've played Dungeons and Dragons most of my life since probably about sixth grade or so. And I was usually always the one who was typecast into being the dungeon master, which, you know, I used to not, you know, like all, all no one of my friends wanted to do it. They always wanted to make like cool characters with high stats and get a bunch of mm-hmm magic items and stuff and so i was usually always stuck being the dungeon master and coming up with stories and characters and adventures and stuff and you know looking back i think that's kind of really where my writing career probably started and i just never really hit the start button until much later in life but um spent yeah a good good portion of my life reading books and you know somewhere in the back of my mind dreaming about being a writer one day Nice. Did you have a like a book series that you refer to as like being your childhood by any chance? Like there was just that one series, maybe or one book in particular where you look back at it and like that was the book I loved as a kid. Yeah, actually, I have I have two, um, but two that definitely popped into my head like almost immediately. And um, the first series is the Red Wall series. Did you ever read that one? <laughs> I I do remember it. I don't think I read all of them. I, I loved those ones as a kid. Um, one of my favorite ones, had, it always had a weird name, but it was called Salamandastron. And it was, so the Redwall series, for people who haven't read it, it was written by Brian Jakes, who's a um, British author who's passed away now. But he had like a fantasy setting and wrote, you know, fairly large books, you know, I think for kid. I mean, they were like novel sized Um, But it was a medieval setting, fantasy setting, but it had anthropomorphic animals like mice and rats and foxes and stuff. And some animals were, you know, good and some were bad and pretty interesting series as a kid. But my favorite one is Salamandastron, and it was about this mountain with these badgers who were like the good guys. And then... There was this uh, either weasel or ferret or something assassin named Farago who was a bad guy. And I don't know why, but I really liked the bad guy in that book more than the good guy. I was kind of rooting for him and wanted him to win. And so I think that's kind of partly what led to, you know, an appreciation of bad guys. And or maybe it's because I was always role playing them as the DM, too. But that's kind of what made uh, me pick a necromancer for my book. To jump in, I have the first Red Ball book, actually. Ah, oh, nice, nice. I reached over and grabbed it off the bookshelf. I saw, I knew I had one. 
I was like, I don't know which one it is, but I remember seeing it when I was moving the bookcase around. It's hard to keep up. I've not read all of the books that we have in our house. We have like 13 or 14 bookcases full. And it. we're at the point now where we have so many books that we're doing the thing where we put them sideways, slide them in the back, and then cover them up with more books because we just don't have enough room. <laughs> yeah. Most I, yeah. of them are my girlfriends, but yeah, we, have, we just have so many. Got quite the collection myself. I definitely haven't made it through through all of them. <laughs> um, so Redwall, and then what was the other series or book? Oh, so the one? other, yeah, the other series. Uh, touching back on you know my Dungeons and Dragons nerdiness, I I think the first kind of big, bigger than the Redwall novel novels that I read was um, the Crystal Shard by Ari Salvatore with Driz Durden, and that was got my my foot into that series and then i read um a ton of the drizzt books as a kid too i'm actually not familiar with the crystal shard Interesting. yeah it's pretty cool um it's like a dungeons and dragons type novel and drizzt was this like dark elf ranger and um he left his like homeland of the dark elves behind and then went to the surface and uh, anyways, there's like a whole bunch of books with, you know, that series. And I think that, you know, those two books were kind of foundational for a lot of my reading and actually really, I think my novel too, looking, looking at it now. Yeah. I'm getting some, uh, I, I, I read, uh, Dragonlance growing up a bit. Ah, uh, yeah. And, uh, just like, the covers alone. Give me some strong Dragonlance vibes, but yeah. I, guess, I guess it's all very much done. I mean, I think Dragonlance was started based on Dungeons and Dragons, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I really liked um, Raceland. I always thought he was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had to repurchase. I had it as a kid, and I don't know what happened. It's probably one of the things my parents just got rid of or something when they moved away. I had yeah. the Annotated Chronicles uh, book, and I had, I was able to find it online like a couple years ago. I was so excited to be able to get it again. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was... I, I don't know. I like that. I like having a little bit of added like tidbits of information and stuff on the, you know, on the sides of the pages reading through it. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I like books with maps too. I have a, a map mm-hmm. with mine. I thought that was kind of a necessity because I have so many other books that I read as a kid that had maps <laughs> and loved them. <laughs> I, yeah, that was one of the first things I did in uh, when I started writing the thing, my project was uh, I made the map. I have it printed out. On my, it's on my wall behind me here. Very proud. Yeah. Of it. It's probably not going to be accurate by the time I'm done. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine. I like it was kind of interesting with mine actually because one thing that makes my uh, book kind of interesting. We'll talk, you know, more about it. I'm sure, but it actually all takes place. You know, it's a hundred thousand words, so it's the size of a you know small, smaller size novel, um, but still novel size, but the vast majority of the story all takes place in one spot. Um, So I actually, you know, I I had like the map in the back of my mind and kind of knew politically where things would be and the borders would be and where they would be in relation to all that. Um, But I never actually like sat down and put pen to paper until I actually think I was kind of close to finishing the book really. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Like I said, I having a number of different people on here on the show here that have been authors, it's fun to 
hear their different ways they've gotten started and their processes. What, what actually, like, how did you start? Like, what was the actual start of the process like for you? Were you just like, I'm going to, uh, like figure out like what the character, you know, who the characters are, what the world is like, like, where did you begin the process of putting all the ideas together? So, um, I guess there are probably two really long stories with that. So one is me getting started writing and then one is this book in particular. So I think I'll actually just start with this book in particular first, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that is more confusing or less confusing, but (laughs) we can tell um, you know, it'll be fine. Yeah, (laughs) that's, that's funny. Actually, one of the, um, the kind of tagline for my book I like to describe to people when they ask me what my book's like is Dungeons and Dragons meets Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, so this book was actually kind of interesting. So I know that there, you know, for writers, there's this kind of huge debate or not really debate, but like two schools of thought of either being a plotter or a pantser. And a plotter is someone who you know, pretty much outlines, I'm, you know, talking in extremes, really, where it's all more of a spectrum, and people are kind of more in the middle and really are all unique and have their own kind of unique process. But a plotter is someone who spends a lot of time outlining and planning and does a lot of the, you know, work up front and figuring everything out before they really even start writing page one. Mm -hmm. And pantsers are kind of the opposite And they are people who will, you know, not necessarily do no planning, but they kind of just start writing and see where it takes them and, you know, go back and change or fix stuff. But for the most part are kind of just like discovery writers, you know, is what other people call them too. And, you know, so for the most part, I think I'm probably like 75% plotter, 25% discovery writer, but for this project, I actually started out without like an outline or anything. And it was funny. I never really envisioned Malthus Necromancer and Chain becoming like a full novel. It was actually started out as a writing exercise. And I wanted to focus on a few different things. I wanted to really focus on character driven story and trying to get more in the character's head in my writing. I wanted to focus on character flaws and make like really flawed characters and then um, focus on like character interaction, you know, the interactions between characters. So with those three kind of things in mind, I picked a kind of pair of characters, which is a necromancer is kind of like sarcastic and cowardly and an inquisitor who is like, you know, very strict and forbearing. And it was interesting because I actually got this idea from watching um, one of the Batman movies, I think recently. And I was just watching the Batman and Joker. And I was like, what if they were reversed and the, Joker was kind of like the good guy slash main character and Batman was the bad guy slash, you know, antagonist. And that's kind of what I went with. And, you know, and then, like I said, it was a writing exercise. Um, I started after I had about eight or nine chapters 
of it done. Um, I started posting a few of them on this website called Royal Road. Uh, have you ever heard of it? I've not. Royal it's, Road? Yeah, Royal Road. It's uh, pretty cool, actually, and um, might be a good suggestion for other authors out there listening. So Royal Road is a website that's kind of like Wattpad or some of these other websites where it lets authors post some of their writing online um, for people to read for free. And it's like serial based, like chapter by chapter. Some people update their story chapters once a month. Some people do it two or three times a week, but um, it lets you, your stories get rated and then people can like comment on it, you know, et cetera. So I was just kind of looking to see if I could get some general feedback and stuff. Um, and it really like took off on Royal Road and actually made it to the top 50 on the whole site. And then I got like a message in my junk folder and almost didn't even open it. And it was from a company called Tantor Audio. And they offered me an audiobook deal for my book. And I was like, you know, I'm just publishing it on Royal Road as I go. It's not even done yet. I have no idea when it'll be done. And they're like, oh, we really like the writing and we, you know, want to give you an audiobook contract. So I got like a $2,500 contract and the promise of an audiobook. And my book was not even halfway done. And, <laughs> And it's pretty cool, you know, like, I guess that's kind of every author's dream, but at the same time, it was You're like, really, I guess I, I guess I better finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really like anxiety uh, driven <laughs> a little bit, you know, because now you're like, not only do I have to finish a book, but the rest of it's got to be good and everything. So I think it was around that point that I decided to stop posting anymore on Royal Road just because, mm -hmm. you know, I... For one, th you know, lucked out, I think, and got a lot of attention on there. Probably got as much as I could out of it, but didn't want to spoil the rest of the book before I had finished it and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's kind of my long-winded book story on how the book uh, came about. Is just initially a writing exercise from a writer who usually plans and outlines everything, and then this kind of took off. So about halfway through, <laughs> I had to stop. And then I was like, all right, you know, and I really kind of outlined and planned everything. I didn't really actually change too much from what I had already done so far, but did come up with a few more twists and turns that I hadn't, um, didn't have originally. Yeah. I'm uh, very much like a planner. I know like that's, that's my big hang up on anything is organizing all of my thoughts into one place and this is does doesn't have to do with just writing it's just in general it's i will yeah. spend so much time figuring out like all right how does this work like how will this work laying it all out like figuring out like in writing like a timeline or in like the business sense of things like all right what's the flow like of this project like how will this work and i spend a ton of time just nitpicking every little detail trying to figure out like how can i ruin this like how can i bust this up to where it doesn't make sense or it won't work and just fixing like any errors in that in that way it's sort of like uh testing code to an extent or just okay like, how can i how can i ruin this website how can i input something incorrectly to where the website just doesn't work yeah and, uh, yeah that's what it's like with like writing for me like i spend so much time building out the world like i said the first thing i did was like i made the map i've spent so much time 
working on like you know the wildlife the tr- like how like the land masses function like the trade routes you know every little detail of like building out the world itself and then once that's all done it's like all right now i can put in the the characters where they need to be um and figure out how they interact with the world and like the effects that their actions would have on it which is sort of like what i test uh i test it by working on the podcast descriptions if you've read any of those it takes place in the same world as like my main project but it's just this side thing that i can do with the podcast descriptions to connect all the episodes together as well as kind of figuring out how i want it all to function as a complete narrative Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering, I saw that actually, and I was wondering what that was. I was going to ask you about that. I imagine it could be quite jarring for someone who is not like read up on the previous parts. I I realized that a while back. I'm like, if someone just jumps in right now and reads this, it's not going to make any sense to them. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of interesting that, I mean, in a way that's kind of like what your, what Royal Road is like, Mm you didn't these little mini, mini sodes of uh, a book or story like you have. Yeah. But yeah, I I totally get what you're saying, and it's it's interesting. I'm also a um, a psychology major. I have a you know not not like anything crazy or anything, just a bachelor's degree in psychology. But I've always been a big fan of um, Carl Jung and the Myers Briggs personality test and all that okay. stuff. And mm-hmm. you know I, you know I I think that you have to take it a grain of salt. I mean, there's only so much value you can get out of it. Nothing's really a perfect measurement system of personality, mm-hmm. but I like it not only for helping to plan or my characters or kind of give them a foundation to fill in. But I also think about it a lot in terms of writing and wonder, you know, if people with different personality types tend to be more plotters or pantsers mm-hmm. or stuff like that. I remember doing uh, like, I I don't think a lot of them work. The, like the online ones, I feel like it's just like, all right, input this, and we'll give you a random response essentially. Uh, but there's a number of them I, I remember doing when I was in school still, like in you know high in high school and then in college, and I got such variations of results. But I know some of them would be like, oh, you know, you're uh, like creative, and it's like, yeah, that's very vague, you know. Uh, some of the ones like that. I, I can't remember all of them. It's been so long. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is interesting seeing how a lot of that stuff sort of coincides together as far as uh, just how someone's mind works into how they actually, you know, perform the different actions of their, their work or their careers. Yeah, definitely. And, and in creating a book, I mean, it's such a, you know, wide ranging process with every different genre, you know, there's, I mean, people might not even think about it, but I mean, even uh, detective novels or romance novels have their own world building in a way. And, mm-hmm. you know, just the order you do all that stuff. And it's interesting. Like, I mean, like my book, too, you know, I had I definitely had a few ideas for the world and, you know, kind of developed more as I was writing it. And then. You know, like once I kind of took that halfway pause break, then it was like I I kind of stopped writing my book for several months, actually, at that point. And I kind of just sat down and did a lot more of that world building and stuff that I hadn't done before. And um, it, it's it's interesting, though, uh, you know, like I 
my story all, like I said, kind of takes place in one spot and, you know, obviously my opinion's biased, but I feel like I did a really good job, um, adding world building in there without it being info dumpy or too much. Like I really, uh, I saw that you're a Dark Souls fan. I'm a huge Dark Souls and Elden Ring fan too. I, I don't know what it is about those games that just are so hard. You want to break a controller, but I, they just attract me. Um, but I, I love the way that they do lore in those where it's like this breadcrumb approach where they drop these tiny pieces of lore that are so sparse that people are like, arguing over it and forums and stuff and i, I don't know explore at the same time you're like yeah oh, like, even the world like you start out in those games and it's like i'll use elden ring for an example because it's the most recent one like you start out it's like you see all these things in the distance like oh, i want to go there i want to go there you know want to find out more about that and in the process of getting there you stumble across things that build out the world and provide you with more information about you know where it is you're going you know, you might stumble across a random uh, character. It's like, oh, you know, that's the castle where my dad is. He needs help because this happened. And it's like, okay, I can do that for you. And then you get there and it's like, oh, just like context clues and the actual environment provides so much detail that allow you to fill in the gaps for yourself. Yeah, I, I really like that approach to, you know, I, I know we as authors come up with these giant elaborate worlds and then we feel like it's our duty to you know, submerge the reader in, in them, but you can definitely waterboard them with too much too. Yeah. And I, I really liked, I don't know. I, I really just like that breadcrumb approach. So I, I definitely have that approach with a lot of the lore in my story, especially because it, you know, like I said, takes place in one spot and really the whole story um, takes place in the period of like, four four or five days um mm. which is kind of neat too but there is still a lot of like world and lore and other areas that are you know referenced but it feels uh you know like organic like it comes up organically one one cool trick i did too that i think worked pretty well i was on the fence um doing them for a while but uh, and I didn't even know what the word was for them until I talked to my editor, but the little like two or three sentence parts they have at the start of chapters sometimes, like I know Brandon Sanderson did it in Mistborn and they have it in Dune as well. Um, they kind of are like just random quotes from people in the world or books mm -hmm. or something in the world. And so I did those in my chapters and I think those were, and I, and in my book, I have just random people from the world. Like one of them is like, uh, their titles like orphan minder. She's like a, you know, orphanage lady. And some of them are other inquisitors or another one's like some guy who studies the undead. And it's an excerpt from his book. And I just, you know, pick some random people and had them have like two or three sentence quotes or lines that were in the beginning of each chapter to not only build out the world, but also set the mood for the chapter. It was it was fun. It was almost like a little mini game as I was coming up with them while I was writing. But I made sure that they were um, 
you know, not just there just to be there, you know, they had to relate to the chapter and, you know, had to add context in some way, but also for whatever reason, I guess a lot of people just tend to skip over them and not read them and teach their own, I guess. But uh, I also made sure that they weren't necessary for the story for people who did tend to do that and try to keep them short too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even like general conversation can be very much lore building. Like just like a made up example, like you have a character going to a prison. It's like, Oh, where do you get captured at? And it's like, Oh, he got captured over here. You know, those people in that place, you know, and their fish or whatever, you know, just some like offhand comments like, Oh, that's probably a seafaring area or whatever. Like just, the way people interact with one another providing context, but it comes more naturally as opposed to, you know, just ham handedly throwing the information out there in a sense of exposition. Yeah. One of, uh, one thing I read in one of my like books on writing that has really stuck with me is to treat your readers like they're intelligent, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, if you treat your readers like they're smart and respect them and do that in your writing without, you know, feeding them like a kid, then I think that readers appreciate that more and it makes your writing a lot better. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's super interesting. Like I said, just the, the different ways people go about it. Like I've always been fascinated, for example, of how like, uh, like crime novelists put together their work. Cause obviously they, they know what the, you know, what the crime is, how it was committed and everything. Like it's, are they, you know, working backwards for to an extent is like my question a lot of times where it's like, all right, how do you put a, like a reverse trail of breadcrumbs for the main character to follow, to reach the, the villain and solve the crime? It's, I don't know. That sort of stuff is super interesting to me. Yeah, I, I agree. That's always kind of impressed me too. It's like a puzzle, but doing it backwards. And then you're just figuring out what pieces to give people and what to mm-hmm. leave behind. Yeah, because I mean, not only are you putting the pieces there, but you have to have it make sense and feel natural to the the audience as opposed to like, oh, he stumbled across this key piece of evidence. It's like, okay, well, why would that be there? You know, it, it, you can't have the villain, so to speak, be completely inept or it ruins any tension in the, the story to an extent because he'll just get caught right away. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it is it, it is tricky because yeah. then you, you also like, you have to make it, solvable you know to where like someone super smart could potentially solve it or like at the end you're like oh yeah you know now it makes sense and you can't have it one of those endings where it completely doesn't make sense and then everybody's like yeah you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's weird mysteries are definitely an interesting genre it's pretty good point yeah it because it it frustrates me with not even just reading, but like movies and things where you're, you know, all these movies, for example, you're watching it and there's, you're trying to figure it out along the way. Right. But then it frustrates me when you get to the end and the big reveal is this piece of evidence that just was never made available to anybody until the moment where you have the aha moment right at the end. And that frustrates me. It's like, I like the idea of like, if you're paying attention, particularly in movies, because it's harder with uh, books because you have to have all the information in front of you at one time. Whereas in movies, something could be going on in the background that's not the focus necessarily. And just being able to be like, oh, if you're paying close attention, you could have solved it. All the pieces were there from the start, but they weren't highlighted until you know different sections of the film. 
Yeah, yeah, that's hard. It's it's definitely a, a hard genre. I don't know if I would be much of a mystery writer. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly avoiding issues where it's like, you know, going back and watching old films or even like old sitcoms to an extent where it's like a lot of problems are just solved immediately by like modern technology, like cell phones, like the internet in general. You know, it's like how many times it's like, oh, this person is, you know, stuck. They, they you know, they're being attacked or whatever. They need help, but there's no one around. It's like if they had a cell phone, it's just call the police. Everything's fine. But nowadays they just say the, oh, I don't have service. But even though it's, I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere. And even I can get close enough to get service to make a phone call or connect to Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a, a thing too. Like I don't really, I guess, think about it too much being a fantasy yeah. author. It's unbelievable obstacles to overcome. Well, I mean, I was going to say just just deciding like what, you know, like if I wrote YA, you know, YA or portal fantasy or whatever, something that takes place in the real world. Do I write it in 2023 with this technology? Do you write it in 2010, the 1980s, like Stranger Things? You know, you have to think about all that technology, I guess, too. Man, if I ever wrote like a book set in our universe or just in general, I have to set it in modern days because I'm just so out of touch with like older technology. I, I, I'm sure I'd get something wrong <laughs> and it, people would read it and be like, this is, this is not how this works. Yeah. You'd have to do all that fact checking <laughs> for that period and everything. Yeah. I still or, actually found a good book for that with, um, shoot, I don't know if I can find the title now, but I found a really good book for that for like fantasy and medieval time periods. That was kind of interesting reading this. It wasn't like a boring like history or textbook. It had a lot of really cool stuff that just kind of made medieval worlds more realistic if you want to try to figure that stuff out. Interesting. I'll have to try and find something like that. That sounds cool. But yeah, um, Going back to some of the questions I had too, actually, was uh, you mentioned you're in the military. Did that have anything to do with like your process on, all right, I definitely want to start writing a book, putting pen to paper? Uh, so yes and no. So I think that'll lead me into my next story about um, when I actually started writing. But so when I was in the army, I was in from like 2002, got out in 2010, and I was a radio guy. Um, we set up radios and antennas and then I reclassed, uh, to an IT guy cause I realized they had to keep the servers and everything air conditioned. So that meant they had to keep me air conditioned <laughs> too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to Iraq once and Afghanistan twice and I definitely did a lot of reading over there, you know, read a whole lot of fantasy books over there. And I, thought about wanting to write over there, but, um, you know, never, never started, never took the time and still just read. And then I finally got out in 2010 and then, um, used my GI bill, went to school and ended up getting a job. Uh, I, I went back home to California. That's where my family lives. And then I moved to uh, Ohio slash West Virginia. Um, one of my friends I was in the army with, uh, lives out here and he helped me get a job, um, at a place called the Bureau of the Fiscal Service, which is actually for the government. And we deal with, um, like savings bonds. So if you've ever bought a savings bond or yeah, cash to savings bond, then it goes through our area. 
Um, so anyways, I, you know, kind of just was a idea in the back burner of my head and I mostly just kept reading, but never really pushed forward with writing. Um, and then my girlfriend who, so I met her, she goes to, uh, college here at Ohio University and mm -hmm. she is an international student. Um, she's Bulgarian. She was born in Bulgaria, but her family lives in South Africa. Um, yeah, it's really, she's a really interesting person. Um, and so she, you know, we met and everything. And then um, at the end of, I always get the year mixed up now. I feel like they all kind of melted together during COVID time. <laughs> but yeah. this was this was before COVID. I think this was at the end of 2019. Uh, yeah, I think 2019. So I went to South Africa to um, meet her family. They lived in Johannesburg. And um, one day I, it was Christmas Eve actually, and we were supposed to drive from Johannesburg to Cape Town that morning. And I woke up that morning and I was just like throwing up blood, like really bad. Just... Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, and so I have GERD from the army and I guess I had like an ulcer in my esophagus or something that had ruptured and I was like bleeding, you know, while I was sleeping. And so I woke up and had already had a bunch of blood and threw up. And so anyways, they had to rush me to the hospital and the first hospital that they took me to, um, they didn't have anybody on staff uh, because it was Christmas Eve, like they didn't have the right people on staff, I guess. Um, so we had to go to this other hospital. And by the time we got there, I had like thrown up so much blood, I was starting to go into shock, like my lips were tingling and everything. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but they finally got me in, you know, surgery, like just in the nick of time and got me, you know, IV and I got emergency surgery and got my, you know, esophagus stitched up and everything. It's pretty crazy, actually. Like, um, you know, I guess I, as an average American before going to South Africa, would have no idea what the healthcare would be like and would be pretty nervous getting an emergency surgery. But mm -hmm. the two crazy things about it were one, the doctor who operated on me was this like uh, crazy Polish doctor who is like, I, I say crazy, I mean like crazy famous because I guess he's done like YouTube videos and has been on like TED talks and stuff for specific surgeries. So, I mean, he was like a world-renowned surgeon who just happened to be on duty, who was the one who did surgery for me. And then because I was in South Africa, I, you know, like had issues getting them to take my health insurance and everything. And I had to pay all out of pocket for it and paying completely out of pocket for emergency surgery and like four or five days in the ICU and blood and everything only came out to like $5,000. Jeez. Yeah. So I would, that's about a what 50,000% discount from the US version. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. So anyways, my my story is is that I 
you know, after I kind of came to from surgery and everything, I had some books with me that were just sitting on my like hospital bed. And I had like three or four books on, um, how to plan your novel, how to start writing, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'd been reading books on writing. I guess I had evolved at some point over the last few years before this happened, because I went from just reading to starting to read more books on writing, but still felt like I just wasn't ready, you know. And so then, you know, kind of sitting in the hospital bed and looking at these books and realizing that tomorrow isn't promised, I actually started working on writing that night in the hospital bed and started outlining. I had like a blank leather journal. I know there's, I don't know if you're like me, but I probably have like 11 or 12 leather journals with blank pages in there that I have never written in. And I was like, oh, I'm going to actually I'm write into this one. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, started outlining a story uh, that night, actually. Yeah, I've, I have so many notebooks. They're all for different things. Like I have an older notebook. It's all right here. Sorry, it's the loudest vehicle ever going by. I could hear it inside here, and I have soundproofed the room. Wow. Now, so I could still hear it. Uh, yeah, but uh, like I have a uh, one notebook that was all for the podcast, which I now have a podcast-specific notebook, so that one's moved on to the website updates and things like that. Uh, I've got one for like writing ideas and things like that. I got another one for like artwork. Got one for work. Everywhere I do have a couple of, like journals. I have one in the bedroom for when I wake up at night. Sometimes I'm like, I better jot this down real quick. And then it's yeah. just I, I wake I wake back up in the morning and look over it, and it's almost always just a big incoherent mess. It doesn't <laughs> make any sense. But yeah, I definitely sense. definitely do that too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's what's like on my phone too. I have like the the notes app, uh, and even that is just one or two word phrases, which don't make sense most of the time. Yeah, um, it's like I gotta I gotta do work to figure out what I was trying to come up with in some of those. My my notes one on my phone is probably the one I use the most often, and then like. Mm-hmm every few months I'll just go and like copy everything out of there and then put it on a word document. And then I'll just kind of like look through it and see which was crap and which out of there I can salvage and keep. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking over it now. It's just nonsense rambling. I've no, <laughs> like, I have no idea what I was going for uh, with this. It's, and it's just all sorts of stuff like that. Like a lot of it too is all like, read something somewhere or see something and it's like, Oh, that's interesting. How can I work that into like what I want to do, but make it unique. So like one of the things is like skinwalkers. I don't know if you know what skinwalkers are. I don't. It, I think it's like native American centric, uh, but they're like supposed to be spirits that can take over a person and like they consume their soul and huh. they can like transform to look like people. And I was like, Oh, how can I make this into a, like a unique tidbit? And so, like, in the notes app, it's, like, I have information on what skinwalkers are supposed to be, as well as, like, Google image results. And they're pretty freaking creepy, to be honest. I don't like looking at it. <laughs> That's cool. But, like, stuff like that. And then uh, just, like, random, like, character quotes, uh, little, like, tidbits of, like, information on characters. Uh, just all the time. And, uh, yeah, it's, like, pages and pages of that in my notes app. 
versus I I want to incorporate all of it, but there's no way it's going to happen because half of it is just nonsensical. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely get you there. <laughs> but yeah, so I, uh, yeah, that was 2019 and that near-death experience is what finally pushed me to start writing. Um, but to also answer your question too, I... I definitely feel like my time in the military, def, you know, has really influenced my writing. Actually, um, one of the categories uh, I picked for Malthus, I guess I should actually talk about my book. So I'll do that after this little <laughs> bit, too. But um, one of the categories I picked for Malthus for Amazon um, was military fantasy because it, you know, to me really fit in that genre. It's basically about a fort that's under siege. Um, and there's, you know, military forts, there's a bunch of soldiers there and everything. But when I released the book, it actually made it to number one new release in military fantasy on Amazon for a couple of days, uh, which is pretty cool. I was pretty surprised by that as a debut author. I think it's actually still number five or number six overall in military fantasy. Um, but yeah, I, I, definitely um, think that my time in the army has influenced my story. And I kind of am telling a lot of different POVs, not only from, you know, the necromancer main character, obviously, but from several different soldiers in the story, uh, you know, and, and I think too, actually kind of one thing I wanted to do with my story as well is, you know, I, I know, there are definitely going to be battle scenes and fight scenes in almost any fantasy book. But a lot of the times, you know, mm -hmm. it feels like people are just so used to fighting that it becomes unrealistic, you know, like Legolas sliding down the stairs and shooting a <laughs> bunch of orcs and stuff, you know, yeah. so I wanted to make it a little more realistic and kind of capture some of the fear and chaos of battles and fighting as well instead of just the you know collecting doing cool stuff and collecting loot at the end i guess yeah i pulled up military fantasy on amazon here it is a lot of brandon sanderson <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of brandon sanderson um one of my favorite authors joe abercrombie um I, his books fall under military fantasy as well hmm. yeah i see him on here too interesting the the Silmarillion is on here from Tolkien. Yeah, I was surprised, surprised by that one. Yeah, interesting. There's a couple on here, the Unfinished Tales. I don't know. It's interesting to see that. Yeah, uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on too is like the actual self-publishing route that you went. What is that? What was that process like for you and how did you approach it? Man, so that's a whole, uh, whole <laughs> other topic to... Um, the whole other adventure, I guess. So I, I, I you decided to publish and you're like, yeah, let's do it. Took you a couple minutes. You just took care <laughs> of it and it was over. Right? <laughs> yeah, I wish. That easy. Um, I was kind of forced into the route of having to self publish, you know? So for people who don't know uh, much about this, like you either go the route of traditionally publishing and find like a major publisher but, you know, everything has a process. So, I mean, even that you have to find an agent first who will work with you and then wants to represent your book. And then they are the ones who reach out to publishing companies on your behalf because a publishing company is not just going to 
read some debut authors stuff. They just have way too many. They will only listen to agents really. Um, and also because I had already, uh, published a lot of my stuff on Royal road, like I said, and then mm -hmm. compounded with that because I also signed away the audio rights to my book. Like there was no way any publisher is going to take, you know, a book without audio rights and a book that's already been half published online already. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was forced to have to self publish. And so, yeah, man, there is a ton here to unpack and talk about like you, you have to basically do it all yourself. Um, you have to, once you finish your book, you have to get it edited and there's several different rounds of editing. Um, there's developmental editing, which is like story surgery. Um, this is basically someone who looks at the story as a whole and tells you if there are characters here that don't work, if there's major sections of the story that don't work or need to change, or if the plot is too slow or things like that. And um, there's a website called Reedsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y.com, which I really like because it lets you it's basically like an eBay slash Amazon for writers and you could find, or like Fiverr for writers mm -hmm. and you could find editors, book cover designers, all that. And people have ratings and their past work. Um, so you can find some really amazing people. Actually, I found uh, this editor named John Oliver, who he was my developmental editor and he's actually worked with Brandon Sanderson and Dan Abnett and some other famous authors before. So that was pretty cool. And he's on Reedsy, you know, I mean, they have some really, uh, my cover designer, Alejandro Colucci has made covers for Ann Rice and Joe Abercrombie and some of the Witcher books. And he was on Reedsy too. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, so you have to, go through all that. Um, so like I said, I found a lot of people on Reedsy, my cover designer as well, my developmental editor. Then you do copy editing after you've changed the major parts of the story you need to change. And that's copy or line editing is the editing that people think about when they think about editing. That's the, you know, changing the sentences, correcting grammar, things like that. Um, and I found a really amazing editor on Reddit, actually. It was really random, but my first uh, copy editor I got didn't do a very good job. So I was kind of in the process of looking for one, but hadn't fully started. And I posted my book blurb on fantasy writers on Reddit, just looking for feedback. And this guy named Spencer Merrill um, gave me really in-depth feedback on just my book blurb and it was enough that i knew he was the copy editor for me or i mean I, I hadn't gotten that point yet i asked him you know i was like this is really good are you an editor and he's like yeah actually i am a editor so i reached out to him he did the copy editing for me um then i had to get a proofreader to go through it one final time you get a uh, cover designer um and then this wasn't necessary, but I actually worked with this really cool artist uh, named Dijon Delish, who is a Serbian artist. And he's on, um, I think he's on Facebook and Instagram, but mostly on DeviantArt. And you can search for him. Um, his name's spelled D-E-J-A-N 
D-E-L-I-C. And he does some really amazing, uh, like fan art for different fantasy novels and stuff. Like I actually saw some of his art. What's that? I found him here. Oh, cool. Yeah. I actually saw some of his artwork for, um, the blade itself and Joe Abercrombie at first. And I really loved it. And I saw that years ago. And then once I like finally finished my book, I was like, how cool would it be if he did some artwork for me? So mm-hmm. I, I hired him to do uh, like 10 different illustrations actually from different parts of my book. So there's illustrations that come with the ebook paperback and hardcover and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, that's not something you have to do, but that was something I did as well. And then regardless of whether you do that, then the last step is formatting uh, and you have to format your book. And that's, you know, part of it is getting the file ready um, to upload. And then part of that is also like the design and, you know, the layout of the interior of the book for both the ebook, paperback and hardcover and all that. Um, and yeah, so then you format it and then you're finally ready to mostly ready to upload it to Amazon. And then (laughs) you have your ebook file, your paperback and hardcover, if you're going to do that. And then you have to like go through this whole other process with Amazon, um, KDP, Kindle direct publishing, where you upload your book files you have to have your book description. You have to have three different book categories, like military fantasy was one, like I mentioned, that you have to pick for your book. And then you also have to have seven different keywords for your book. And by the way, you should have done research on all these things too to see you know, what keywords you should use if people are actually using those keywords. You know, So I mean, there's just a ton of stuff there and there is not a handbook or anything out there uh, for self-publishing. So that's definitely a lot of learn as you go to get there. But yeah, I finally have made it across the finish line. (laughs) I, Oh, and then you have to market your book. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, and then by the way, once you finish that, then you actually have to go out and market your book too. Yeah. (laughs) I was, I was going to say, if, if I can just get to the point where like I'm ready to put it on like Amazon or something and market it, I'm, you know, wiping my hands off. I'm calling it good to go because that's literally what I do for a living already. Yeah. So I, I'll breeze through that part, I'm sure. Like yeah. Keywords like SEO and that side of things. Oh, it's my wheelhouse. It's perfect. I'll, I'll get through that, get that all set up. I mean, I've helped. I don't know how many people set up like shops on Amazon uh get their like storefronts and stuff set up so i'm like perfect just just gotta get to that point everything awesome. else. well i there there are definitely some tools out there and you know i'll i'll shout this one out for i'll actually shout out two and they're made by the same group of people and i am not sponsored by them whatsoever but they have made two very amazing tools um the first one is Atticus, uh, like the band. Um, and it's got like a little French bulldog with glasses and a bow tie, uh, for their icon. And that is to me, the best formatting software to me, it's the best 
piece of software I bought as an author since I started all this. And it lets you format your book and it's got so many different options in there and like really helps you take care of all of that. And you would pay more than 150 to hire someone to format it yourself or themselves. And yeah, so that's my first one. And then the other one is it's called KDP Rocket. And that's some other amazing software that lets you do all the keyword and category stuff. Like it has, I don't know exactly how it works, but it somehow looks at like the Amazon rankings and search stuff behind the scenes. And it it can tell you like, you could do a lot of different things with it. You could look at a particular book title, you know, if it's your book competition and see what keywords they're using, how many estimated sales they're getting. You could look at military fantasy as a category, for example, and see um, what keywords are the best for that category and how many cells you would need to get to be in the top 10 of that category and stuff like that. So those that. are the That's two. Interesting. Yeah, those those two programs are great for authors. Have you ever used Scrivener? Uh, I have not. I know that's another formatting software. Um, and I, I've, I've heard mixed reviews with that. I wish I could have used both and could tell you um, one is better than the other. But yeah, I, I used Atticus so. and Atticus was just perfect for me. So there was no need for me to look at the other one. I'll have to look at Atticus. I have that pulled up in front of me as well. Yeah, is like that, I was able. Is that just I, a one time purchase, Atticus? Yeah, just a one-time purchase. It's perfect. And with that, you know, I was able to, like, my book is probably the most difficult case. Like, I have images in there that are what's called full bleed for people who don't know, which means it goes all the way out to the edges of the page. Um, And then I have, like, uh, the two-page map in there. I also have... um, like little ornamental breaks, like, you know, instead of the dots between the breaks, I have like little skulls, which is kind of cool. I could put that in there myself. And um, I have the epigraphs too, like I said, at the beginning of each chapter and Atticus allows you to do all that and then export it in ebook format and the Mm -hmm. whatever size you want for paperback or hardcover. Yes. I, I really appreciate uh, websites and programs that are like built as all-in-one stops for like whatever you're working on. Like I was, I was when I was looking at Reedsy, uh, the way they have their uh, site set up, where you get the uh, you know the editing, the design, the marketing, all that. Like just yeah, everything, having everything included is so useful to me. Like I love when businesses do that. Yeah, it's what I've been working on with our own website with Digestive Productions. I I definitely like Reedsy. I found a lot of great, great people on there. Yeah, this is this is super interesting, useful. Awesome. Thank you for the recommendations. I appreciate this. I've I've got them all written down here as well. No, no problem at all. And I um this is I like it looks slick. I should probably that you know I'm I finished my book. I have a prequel short story. I guess we should guess we should talk about those. But I was going to say I, I'm working on book two. But I should probably write a book just on self-publishing. I could probably <laughs> write a whole book on it and give a bunch of advice. But you had the, the prequel, uh, Greedy as a Ghoul, correct? Yeah. So 
this is another, I, I think, great advice for uh, authors out there. So I had I um, a prequel short story for Malthus. It takes place in the same world. It has the same character. And it's really short. It's only like three chapters, 10,000 words. Um, and I made it free, the ebook free on Amazon. And mm -hmm. I have some links, you know, in the ebook and, you know, the back of the paperback um, if people buy that. But I have links to like my website and then put links in there to my main book. And that was just to get people interested and you know you can make it free it's a great tool to to get out there i actually have had over five thousand total purchases of the paperback or downloads of the ebook combined from amazon for that and i only released that back in the beginning of april so it hasn't been out too long nice yeah i've actually heard similar things before where if you can get a free piece of your writing out there for people to just get a taste of like your work and the way you write and your style. It's great. It's a great marketing thing is just as far as like, Hey, you know, go check this out. See if you like it. If you do, here's more of it that you're welcome to pay for. If you'd like. And, yeah. You know, for me further. Yeah. So it's, it's called greedy as a ghoul. And I, the, the short story takes place about a year, I guess, before the book, um, the story in the book, the main novel takes place. And, I wanted to, I was actually working on, I wrote this after I finished the novel and it was while I was waiting for my edits to come back. I was just kind of needed something to keep working on. So that's when I did that. And I wanted to have like little mini short stories that kind of touched on the character a little more, but also focused on um, like a particular type of undead or, mm -hmm. you know, Malthus using a particular spell, you know, and kind of introduce those gradually uh, with one with each kind of little short story. So I have mm -hmm. one that's published and then I have a few others that I'm working on. So I might actually do like a collection of little short stories that end up being a connected prequel before the book mm -hmm. too. Nice. Yeah, I've I've long thought about taking the podcast description story, yeah, and just writing it out so it's a bit more readable. And uh, good grief! I don't know if you could hear that. This is this is what's this is what's like living in the middle of of the country in central Pennsylvania, surrounded by Mennonites and rednecks. I can like I said, this office is soundproofed on all four sides, and I can still hear trucks driving by out in the street, like a hundred yards from my house. <laughs> There's this right. one guy in our neighborhood who has like one of those crotch rockets that he revs up every time he takes oh, off. Yeah, that's <laughs> annoying. Yeah. Anyway, what I was saying is I was going to take the, the the podcast description, make it a bit more readable into an actual like, you know, formatted probably so it's it's more written like a novel and just put that out as like a free story and just do that as a, just to put something out. Yeah. You could even do it on Royal Road and you know, mm -hmm. so you can get some feedback and stuff there too. Yeah. Cause like right now, I mean, if you've read any of it, it's just like very basic plot development. It's not formatted for uh, you know, like a short story or anything like that. It's yeah. Just me putting ideas out there and kind of linking it together. Uh, just because I enjoy doing that. That Let's is see. cool. I'll have to check out some more of them. I've only, I only read a, a few of them. I forget when I actually 
started like fleshing it out more because it, yeah. it started episode one for sure. Like I forget what it, I think it's like our heroes embark on their journey is what episode one is. So it's like it, I started with the theme back then even, but obviously it was not a as in depth. And then sometimes it just goes really off the rails. I think like episode 100, it's like 11 paragraphs or so. It's way too much. It's it's just out of control, and it's just me wanting to to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know, but it was it was around that time. Oh yeah, episode one. We introduce our heroes as they embark on their journey. That was back when I actually threw some of the uh, like topics from that show into the description. And I got hmm. I stopped doing that after a while because I was like, this doesn't really gel with the theme I'm going with here. Yeah, that is kind of interesting though. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, episode 100. Ooh. Two, three, four, five, six. Ugh. <laughs> 12. Yeah, 12 paragraphs. A bit too long for a podcast description, if I'm being realistic here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me uh, let me tell you about my book. I guess I probably could have opened with this, but it was cool just kind of talking talking as things came up. Yeah. Um, yeah so, Malthus, Necromancer Unchained uh, is a grim, dark fantasy novel. Like I said, I like to describe it as um, Quentin Tarantino meets Dungeons and Dragons. I really liked the Dungeons and Dragons novels I read as a kid, like the R.A. Salvatore, Drizdord, and one I mentioned, but I wanted a grittier version of that growing up, you know, like reading like Joe Abercrombie and the Blade Itself and Malazan, like I liked, you know, that grittier kind of style. So I wanted to combine the two. And I also... I've also been really interested by necromancy. I always thought that was a cool magic system and it always gets typecast as the bad guy of a story and then usually because it's the bad guy you don't really get a lot of insight into how it actually like works or functions because you're usually seeing it from like the hero's point of view or something like that um then yeah. i wanted to know like what it would be to actually control undead you know zombies and skeletons and stuff with your mind um mm-hmm. So, you know, that was kind of another important thing that I wanted to tackle. But uh, so I actually, you know, to me, the story is like a fantasy version. Um, Have you ever watched the movie 310 to Yuma? I have not. I'm aware of what it is, but I've not watched it. Ah, That's a cool, cool Western movie is one of my favorites. But I kind of have like a fantasy version of 310 to Yuma where it starts out where the Inquisitor, um, you know, the world necromancy is basically illegal. Uh, There is some lore and world building where there's this ancient cataclysm called the Scar, which is kind of like damaged the world um and it's on the map in the book too isn't it yeah yeah and so it's damaged the world i i hint at it and there's more revealed in the book but it's not really a central focus of the story too much other than the story kind of takes place close proximity to there um but it's for that reason you know that creation is kind of what made necromancy illegal after you know that happened uh, the church took power, 
the Vicenias, the goddess in my world and her church took power and the inquisitor, you know, their main job is to kind of keep order and weed out dissension in society. But their, you know, main job is to stop necromancy and, um, you know, stop necromancers. There is also other magic in my world. I've kind of based off of other Dungeons and Dragons schools of magic, but they're, and they're legal. Um, necromancy is the one that's illegal. And, you know, they're, they're not really a part of this story. It's just the, the current one was just this Malthus is a necromancer. So anyways, um, he, the story starts out with the Inquisitor escorting Malthus across the country. He's already been arrested. Like the story just starts out media res with him arrested in chains by the Inquisitor being led across the country. Um, you know, at the end of the uh, rope tied to the horse uh, that the Inquisitor is riding. And they're riding in a place that's close to the scar. So it's kind of like a wild area where there's a lot of monsters and things like that. And so as they're traveling, you know, the Inquisitor's bringing him to the Holy Capital so he can be tried and executed for his crimes. And while they're traveling, they're attacked by gnolls, which are these half hyena, half human kind of monsters. Um, they're attacked by gnolls and forced to flee. And they have to take refuge at this military outpost uh, that's on the scar to stop like monsters from getting into the, the rest of the world and the civilized, I guess, countryside. And so they're forced to take refuge at this keep. Um, that's a military outpost, but the keep has already been under siege by Knowles for like the last month. And so all the soldiers, you know, are basically wounded and in bad shape. And another attack could be the end for the, the garrison and all the soldiers. And the commander, uh, Commander Peshka, is this kind of like alcoholic army commander. He was kind of fun, fun to write. Uh, and, you know, he basically has to decide to either free the necromancer so that he could raise, you know, the dead soldiers to protect the fort from the gnolls and an imminent attack or side with the Inquisitor who only cares about his mission and doesn't really care about any of the soldiers. So obviously he decides to free the necromancer and the story is basically about a giant battle that takes place at this fort with him using necromancy to raise some of the dead monsters and dead soldiers to protect the living. Um, and then also dealing with the inquisitor, of course, who is unhappy about him being free now. And yeah, that's basically the story in a nutshell. It takes place in like three or four days. There's definitely uh, some a lot more twists and turns in there that I don't you know want to spoil. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that's my story in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah, man, I I love it. I I love the the theme of you know the fantasy and everything like that. I like the siege element of it. I think that can provide a lot of uh, it can provide a lot of inspiration for like character building, like how the people are reacting to it it helps bring out, you know, the, it helps show you like the intelligence of certain characters as well. Uh, as yeah. Far as, like, how they react to it, like the military minded side of it, things like that. I yeah. Know, that's I, the, 
a good point actually kind of reminds me of the mystery book conversation we kind of had a little bit because i you know finding out how the characters survived the siege with less resources and everything was a little bit of a puzzle too so that was kind of neat and then i mm -hmm. i also like i said have different points of view from some of the other soldiers and stuff in the siege from the alcoholic commander just kind of some young soldiers so it's kind of cool seeing those different perspectives too yeah not like i like i said i really love that i i don't know it's super interesting i'm excited i have it here in my my amazon cart gonna order it myself here i'm gonna go with the awesome. paperback though if i'm being realistic I'm, I'm so just to let you know, the okay. paperback, the um, illustrations in there and everything are black and white, and then their color mm -hmm. and the hardcover. It really mm -hmm. sucks, honestly. You're you're really stuck with Amazon's um, pricing and everything and their printing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, you know, obviously definitely wanted to have a color version. Uh, and then Amazon counts all the pages as color, not just the illustrations. So the hardcover... Interesting. Is, yeah, the hardcover's color, but is a lot more expensive. It's like I think Amazon has it priced at thirty six, but I don't know if it'll jump up to forty four dollars. And it sounds like a crazy price, and it is a crazy price. And I'm only getting like a dollar fifty off of each of them. But then I made the paperback like ten dollars uh, in order mm -hmm. to make that more affordable. But that's black and white. Yeah, I'll definitely add this here. I, I'd like getting my hands on as many fantasy novels as I can. Like I said, I have Brandon Sanderson. I got him over on the shelf there. Got, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire. I have every, like, book related to, like, the Game of Thrones universe. Awesome. All those. I have, yeah, huge fan of those. <laughs> uh, and then just, like, a lot of odds and ends sort of books that I find. Like, we, I used to work at a university, and so I'd be down at the the student bookstore all the time. So every time I'd go down, it's like, well, I'm already here. Might as well take a gander. And yeah. then I leave after <laughs> spending like 70 bucks on books again. And it's like just walking by. I'm very much one of those people where it's like, oh, that cover looks interesting. Let me read the synopsis. Good enough. And I just grab it and I have it. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's how this for so many books. I'm definitely with you there. The audio, oh, so the audio book, before I forget, the audio book was really cool. Um, the person... So for one, it was really the whole process was kind of interesting. Like I said, I, I lucked out and was found by a I think his title is like senior acquisitions editor or something was a person who emailed me when he saw my book on Royal Road. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was like while I was still working on the book and then I finish finally finished the book, get it all edited and everything and ready to the point where it's able to be recorded I don't know, maybe nine, 10 months later, maybe more, um, probably more. And so like a year later, I'm emailing this guy and I'm like, all right, the book's finally ready to record. And then he sends me back some different names of people and, uh, and they have all like recorded parts of the book. And so then I get to listen to them and then pick one. And then I picked a guy and had him record a few other parts of the book to hear just because I wanted to hear a section that had like three or four different characters talking and get a, a good mm -hmm. sample of voices. And his name was Lee Osorio and he's a, um, 
a stage actor and actor. He's actually got an IMDb page and has been on like NCIS and True Detective and a few smaller roles, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and has definitely recorded other audiobooks and stuff too. Uh, and then, so it was cool. Like when I heard the recording before the book came out, I was like, yeah, this is definitely the guy. And I was really impressed. But then, when I actually got to listen to the audiobook after it came out, like it, that was really cool. Like not only was it way better than I, I thought it was going to be like if I, my favorite character voice he did was probably um, Colonel Peshka. He gave him kind of like a Southern gentleman kind of Benoit Blanc voice. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he did an amazing job. And as an author, like hearing the audiobook, like, I mean, it's cool in itself, but it's also a little surreal. It was like kind of re-experiencing the was, book for the first time. I was going to ask if it's weird hearing somebody else read your book, because yeah. in my mind, like you have this thought in your head, like, oh, this is what this character sounds like. You know, this is how they would speak. And then there's somebody else's voice coming out with that character's words. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I think there was maybe one voice that kind of didn't match up with my what I had in my head originally. Um, and then some of the voices, you know, I realized after listening to them that I had not really ever thought about, you know, what I wanted them to sound like. But um, I think with the exception of maybe just one, all the other ones he completely nailed and he did so well that like I don't even pay attention to the one that didn't really fit for me. And it wasn't like just the voices too. Like, I mean, the voices were cool and he made them distinct, but not distracting. But I mean, even just the narration, like he emphasized the right points and paused at the right points. And right. I, I don't know for him to both do that. And then also, you know, as a complete stranger who hasn't really talked to me to read my book and understand what points I wanted to emphasize, you know, it's pretty good. It did a really good job. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I actually didn't have any other questions to ask at this point. You answered everything I, I had. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on here before we wrap up. Um, I guess just two things real quick is one uh you know authors you just have to really get creative getting your book out there one thing i did recently that was kind of wild and fun and actually worked pretty well is there's a a gaming dungeons and dragons gaming convention in columbus ohio called origins game fair um and i went in june and i actually dressed up as a character from my book and then had a bunch of bookmarks uh, that had a QR code for my book and handed those out. Nice. I probably got like 15 or 20 pre-orders from doing That's that. Cool. So, yeah. Um, so I, I would just, you know, say that be creative and getting your book out there. And then, uh, if anybody wants to follow me, my website's caseysuttonwrites.com and pretty much all my handles on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that are at Casey Sutton Writes. Awesome. Yeah. And the links will be in the description. Be sure to click through. Go tell them we said hi. Um, thank you so much, man. I had, a, I had a blast. I really appreciate all the, you had a ton of uh, recommendations for software and websites to go to. I s definitely appreciate that. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. super useful. Um, and I, I really enjoyed chatting with you about your processes, 
the style in which you approach things and, and your story in general. It was, it was a ton of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, same here. It's great being on here. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you again to our, our sponsors, Liquid IV and Zancaster. Links for them are in the description as well. Uh, visit our website, deadjustproductions.live. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye.